Hello everybody, Jordan here, the PH is silent, and in this episode of the Saturday Morning D&D Show, we kind of answer a question from uh, one of my dungeon masters. He had a really good question about um, encounters and player knowledge and DM knowledge and how to create interesting encounters and like what do you have your monsters do, who do they attack and why. Um, so instead of talking a lot about our games, we kind of delve into this question for quite a bit. I hope you enjoy it. gentlemen welcome to the saturday morning DD show my name is jordan with a silent ph in the middle it's right down there and or up there depending if we're on twitch or not i'm not sure and i'm joined always by my wonderful co-host sir lucian over there at sir lucian gaming say hello sir hello everybody apparently they can't see my screens though you can see me on the live portion let me try this oh no we've got no screens yeah how'd that happen i'm in the editor i can see it on the left hand side and then on the right-hand side, this is, uh, we've changed our outfits, so you guys just were kind of... All right. So I'll work on that. Go ahead, Jordan, keep talking a second. Our faces, Jordan, our lovely stall, faces will be there. Stall. <laughs> <laughs> and just uh, yeah, so this is our Saturday morning D&D show. Uh, thank you guys for coming out and listening to us, because uh, we have no faces at the moment. Um, and we kind of just talk about Dungeons & Dragons. Um, Real-life news, I threw my back out. I uh, am in a show, uh, a play, because I do some theater locally, and I, uh, uh, yes, they're saying they can see us on YouTube. That's because I'm streaming and not Lucian, so I'm a better streamer. <laughs> yeah. uh, yes, he is. <laughs> He's the best. We're up now. We should be good. So uh, I'm running around doing this show, and I uh, go to bed and I wake up and I'm like, Oh, my back's back's kind of sore. I reach down to tie my shoe and my whole back just seizes up. So I'm like hobbling around. So if you see me awkwardly adjust or just make lots of painful noises, uh, that is why, because I have hurt myself a lot. Um, and it's really sad because I still have to do the show, even though I'm hurt, I don't have an understudy. Um, so we had to like go early to the show last night and reblock everything so that I can like walk around and not get hurt. And I was telling Lucian all this earlier and it's, he's just like, Oh, I've been there like back pain. Yeah, I, I totally <laughs> thought I, I told him he should have came up with a story that he had to wrestle a mountain lion to save yeah. his wife. And, <laughs> and no, know, he really tied his shoe. Cool. Yeah. It should have been something awesome. I lifted a car <laughs> yeah. um, off a baby. Yeah. Off of a yeah. baby. It was quite sad. <laughs> uh, baby so, survived though. So that's awesome. Good. But uh, the car did not. Yeah. The car did not. <laughs> I was just so angry. I hulked out. It was terrible. Yeah. yeah. Um, what's what's <laughs> happening in the world of D and D, Mister Lucian? Well, actually, now that you just said that, before you get there, too. Oh that yeah, must have meant that you had a to tie your shoe DC roll of five, but you still <laughs> rolled lower than your DC to tie that shoe. Definitely rolled a natural one on tying my shoe. Yeah, that is yeah, crit correct. Fail. <clears throat> crit fail. Have to keep that in mind. Uh, but news-wise, D&D, things are starting to get ramped up. Everybody's back from vacations. You're starting to see a lot of the shows starting to pick back up as far as D&D Beyond doing their interviews and doing their different things. And um, they talked about a little bit I saw this past week on talked a little bit more about Arata just a tiny bit. <clears throat> they did do something I thought did they? that I, did they change yeah, they, the errata again? 
No, they just wanted to mention that it was out there oh. and that all the new books that are printed have it in it. So you don't have to worry about that. Um, or where you can get it if you want to take a look at it. Because they changed a lot. There was like monster stats that they changed, like the Warhorse, I think, or something. Like they totally changed its attacks and things like that. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, and Cyberwolf's trying to trying to steal our their story thunder. We're getting there, Cyberwolf. We're getting there. <laughs> <laughs> but they also one cool thing that they pointed out that I thought would be a cool thing to point out on our show too was that they reminded us that you can get the Dungeons and Dragons rule basic rule set for free off their website. So for those of you that are big giant Critical Role fans or any of the other shows that are out there, uh, Acquisitions Inc. or you like to watch any of the shows we have on our channels and you're like, I want to play D and D, but man, that book is $50 for the DMG. And it's like $50 for the players got handbook. And I need all this stuff. We actually don't to get started and you can just go and get the basic rules. You could play dungeons and dragons just as well as any of those shows with those rules for free, get your group together. Don't worry about spending the money at first. Make sure you like the hobby, make sure you enjoy it and you get your players into it. And then you can start thinking about, Oh, I want to buy these other books, even though we love them. And me and Jordan spend all our money on those books constantly. It doesn't mean you guys have to. So keep that in mind. The, the, the rules are free. And most RPGs out there will do that. A lot of them will put out um, free sets or quick start guides that are enough to get you started and understand the game. So you can do that if you like Warhammer. You can do that if you like, um, you know, any of those other games that are out there. Like the Cypher system will put out a basic set. So it, Numenera the strange and all those ones too. yeah uh, a great resource is free rpg day which was started back in 2007 i think um, i'm kind of looking at their website right now but it was a way to get quick start rules and adventure modules into the hands of gamers for free so mm -hmm. this year it's june 15th um, and be sure to check out your local gaming shop because they will hopefully participate in free rpg day um, but like uh, Paizo has like Starfinder things and Pathfinder has a bunch of stuff and Dungeon Crawl Classics and that's where I picked up my original Kids on Bikes free preview which got me excited about the Kids on Bikes RPG so um, if you want to try out new systems too definitely mark that on your calendar June 15th yeah and so other news that we had that hit pretty big I thought was we just heard right towards the end of the week we heard uh, the, um, the the new unearthed arcana article that would be coming out was going to be the artificer class and i saw some things on twitter where jeremy was talking that anytime they're going to try to introduce a class so that was the interesting thing it's not just a subclass of something else this sounds like a brand new class which is the first we've had in a while right we haven't had one in fifth edition a new class right um a brand new class uh you know, I was thinking race and I'm like, no, the turtle, but, uh, yeah. I, I don't think there's been, a, there's been wow. class like updates to classes, but not like a brand right. new class subclasses yeah. and all that kind of stuff, but not like a whole brand new class that would correct me if I'm wrong up. chat, but yeah. And so they said they usually worked about two to three years if they were going to do something like that. And that was the, the timeline is right. Perfect for right now to be about two to three years. So the idea is, or the rumor that I've been seeing kind of pop around is that with the um, the next announcement they make on the nautical-themed, it was confirmed to be a nautical-themed campaign book. They use the word nautical, so that, that to me, you only use if you're talking about on oceans or on seas or things like that. Like, if it was a space game, mm -hmm. you don't describe Spelljammer as a nautical game. You, you describe ships and pirates and, 
and all of that kind of stuff with a nautical. So the next campaign's nautical, and I'm wondering, are they going to put the artificer class in that book? You know, it track record, it makes sense. Like, I think they, they did that in the past where they're like, let's release a bunch of Unearthed Arcana and then we'll work it into the things. Uh, and they, they want, like, they want it play tested now rather than later, you know? So they kind of yeah. put it out ahead of time. Uh, so we'll see. Like, and it's still, it's rumors, a weird, like, it's a weird yeah. book to have the Arcanist in. So. Yeah. But, well, and I don't, we don't know what it is. You're because right. like somebody had said, a lot of times it was a subclass of another class. They weren't going to create a new class. They were going to fit it in to one of the other main classes as a subclass. Mm-hmm. And they've tried that. But the way I was reading the Twitter, but we'll have to wait till the article's out to see if this is actually true or if it's just rumor on the internet at this point, is is it its own class? And that means will it have two or three, four or five subclasses that'll come with it right away also because i think if you're going to release a class then you got to follow the template of what the player's handbook has and there's always a couple of choices you either make it second level or third level depending on what type of class it is where you say okay now i'm going to be this type of warrior fighter Mm -hmm. you know i'm going to be this type of barbarian i'm going to be this type of wizard i'm going to be this type of sorcerer so i'm going to be this type of artificer is what i'm assuming is going to happen but we'll see when the article comes out. It's supposed to come out in February is the time I'm seeing. Uh, Satine Phoenix, I think, announced that on her Twitter. And I think we'll see it. And they have, like, a regular schedule. You even posted a website that had the actual, like, the the update. Did it list the actual day it was coming out? Because usually it's the second Tuesday or something like, like um, that. The Unearthed Arcana that they're going to release? Article? Yeah. Yeah. Let me. Uh, it's in the notes, I think. You, you'd posted like a link. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, February, it just said. So <clears throat> oh, it did. Okay. So it did February. put a date. I think, yeah. I think I've heard it's always like the second Tuesday of the month is when they put it out, I think. So keep an eye out for that. That's That was big news. Um, we know a nautical theme book is coming. So that's been big news. I think we're going to hear something about it this week, the way that Kate and Nathan were talking about it. Um, that the the they hinted at it, but I thought an announcement was coming pretty soon. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was feeling like sometime maybe this week, maybe there's a spoilers and swag show this week, or maybe on the Greg Tito news show or somewhere there he's they're going to announce it. And Greg Tito also said on last week's D and D news show they are going to do a big stream of many eyes style event like they did last year. This one will be just the same, bigger, better. Yeah, They're going to go full bore and do support this book also. So we're going to see a big push around um, whatever this new campaign book is going to be. Yeah, and that'll be in uh, L.A. Uh, just like last year's. Um, <clears throat> yeah, and like March or May or something. So it's still a few months off, I think. I think May. The stream March is it. a little... That you know, he, he gave a date in the stream, and I can't remember it now. But it, yeah. I want to say May, so... Don't May, May sticks out in me, but I knew it was an M month. <laughs> March May just seems out. too close because it's right around the corner for a huge... Yeah. They haven't even started selling tickets yet and things like that. So, yeah. I definitely thought because a lot of times they will bring in community content creators to these events. And I thought about just slipping it in there and saying, hey, the Saturday morning D&D show loves you guys. We would love to come and be a part of the stream. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. That'd be fun. I have a question for you, Lucian. Yeah. Uh, for those of us uh, who don't know, which is obviously not me because I run a Saturday morning D&D show and I know all things D&D, 
Um, what is an arcanist? That is a great question. <laughs> so I looked up some homebrew stuff, but I want I'm wondering what the Wizards of the Coast Arcanist is, and the homebrew stuff that I like found is that it's a, a sorcerer and a wizard kind of combined, and you mm-hmm. like analyze the magical nature that you have innately. So I, I'm trying to remember the original Arcanist. Um, he was able to manipulate uh, saving throws and things like that, so he could cast Fireball, but it would be a strength saving throw instead of a dexterity saving throw or an intelligence saving throw. Like he could manipulate the magic so that it affected a different stat, uh, which is really cool. And I remember thinking that that or not thinking, but like the community came back and said that it was extremely broken because there were certain spells that made you auto fail strength saving throws. So if you cast this and then they auto fail every strength saving throw after that, because you cast it as a strength, you know, uh, fireball, then yeah. they would just continually take damage, and that's why it was broken. So obviously wizards will like correct this, but I had to like really think. I'm just like I, I didn't play th- third edition or other editions where the arcanist was there. So I'm like people are chomping at the bit for this subclass, you know, or not this subclass, yeah. but for this class. So. And the other term I've heard is artificer, and the way I always imagine, art- yeah, artificer, yeah, 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 is that. It felt to me like it was a some type of class that used magic, but through some type of creative process, like they built something or created something that gave them an effect. So it was like either a, a bag that they were reaching in and grabbing stuff out of, or it was something they built and it did something. Okay. So it was See, I'm thinking of the of, different one. I was thinking of Arcanist. All right. Yeah. yeah sorry. Yeah. That's the Artificer is the one that's coming out. I think, yeah, yeah, that's the rumor. Yeah, that I think we're going to see in the next one. And so I think that's a mix, because what we don't have in Dungeons & Dragons is a good class that ties us into Eberron, which brings in some of the steampunk kind of stuff. And Ravnica has a lot of that too, yeah. where you have this mechanical combination of mechanical and magic together to do some weird stuff. And then how do we build characters that are going to use things like that? Like, But I think an arcanist could be a good descriptor word for that type of class too, or it could be like a sub of that, whereas one is more um, maybe crafter-like, but one is more like you're saying, tweaking how the magic actually works or tweaking how the weave is doing what it's supposed to be doing um, in certain ways. So yeah, no, I'm looking at the unearthed arcana now for the original artificer and uh, we can just admit it. I got it completely wrong. I'm high on pain meds right now. So (laughs) (laughs) I totally saw an a thing and was like, Oh yeah. Like, I don't actually know what that is. Let's talk about it. But um, no, it's totally like creating a mechanical servant, infusing magic. There's an alchemist path where you can do a bunch of like alchemical fires or healing uh, mixtures yeah. or sleep mixtures or things like that. And then there's like a gunsmith where you actually have like a magical gun. So it, it is more of like a, a gnome tinkerer kind of class. Right. Um, steampunkish, steampunkish or yeah. mad science, uh, Victorian style science, like, um, or the, the, the actual, what, what happens when Faerun gets science, right? What yeah. happens when physicists start coming up and, and what, what are they going to do in this magical world kind of thing? So I think that's an interesting um, thing, but we'll see. And just like it was mentioned before, the other class that's been talked about, but we haven't seen anything on lately is mystic, which is the name for the psionics class, the class of mind bending 
uh, Xavier style mind manipulation, mind bullets, mind whatever you want to get into, where it's the more the the psionics, which were a big piece in back in the old Dungeons and Dragons, and a lot of people liked them. Um, well, a big piece liked... in certain campaign settings, like there's psionics yeah. in the Forgotten Realms, but like psionics is really important in Dark Sun. Yeah. Um, and I don't think it's important in Eberron, but I could be wrong. Yeah, it might not be. But like the Gith, I think are yeah, are that's considered true. to be very psionic. And they now are. we have them as as a race, but we don't really have. I mean, you have a little bit of psionic rules there, but they're not they're not strong. So, I think those are the two. Th- but I just I'm excited that we might see an actual class because we've had twelve basic classes, and they have all these flavors of different classes that you can be now with with. Um, Santhers Guide being out and giving us a lot of these options that came with the player's handbook, Santhers Guide, mm-hmm. and just a few other sources where you might have gotten a few other types of things. But it gave us this really good, I felt like this really good ability to build lots of different characters. That my if me and you played a fighter, it was very easy for us to build very different fighters, right? Mm-hmm. We finally got away from the idea that we're both playing a cleric, so we both kind of play the same way. No, the, there can be some very different clerics out there. There can be some very different barbarians and, and, and fighters and, and rangers and whatnot. So I thought that's interesting. And now we're getting more, and so add another class in, that's going to let us do some more. So lots of exciting things. It's obviously January where they start announcing and hinting at things. I bet we get more towards the end of January, beginning of February, where we start to see real concrete stuff. We start to see real covers art. We start to see teaser art. We start to hear what the actual name's going to be. Yeah. Um, what starts in it. We're going to see all the play test material, I think, coming out. I mean, because it's a nautical theme, it makes sense that they did the play test with the boats um, and vehicle yep. rules two UA articles ago. This last UA article was about sidekicks and companions, which I thought was a really good UA article that kind of flew under the radar a little bit. Um, and But I hope a lot of people are taking a look at that because it was a really cool article about how to have an NPC level up with the party or a companion or even an animal that's going to be with. So like if you want to make sure that um, – the corgi mount that your your wife rides in the mm-hmm. campaign <clears throat> levels with her level 10 her level 11 her level 12 character there's rules there to say okay here's how you can they become cool and better with the characters also and do some of that stuff so i really like that too those campaign rule, or companion rules which was yeah cool. yeah so. no it's uh it's i think that also flew under the radar because it's exactly when matt colville's book came out and mm-hmm. that was very similar, like strongholds and followers. and followers. Here's a whole bunch of rules for followers. And so people were busy diving into that book rather than the unearthed arcana. Uh, yeah. But that's, and maybe we should do like a deep dive on that on an episode, not today. Cause we're not prepared for it, but like maybe next week or something, we can actually talk about like having companions because that is something that I struggle with as a dungeon master. Um, my wife's Corgi, like, how do I, how do I keep it safe? How do I make it not powerful or overpowered? How do I make it useful so that it's not just like, she wants it to do more than just be something that she runs around on. She's like, well, can he, can he smell? Can he do this? And I'm like, well, yeah, like, but you know, yeah, problems that I have there, I guess, where, where he's, uh, she wants him to be able to do more and kind of participate as a party member, but we've kind of always just been using him as a mount. Like, how do you, how do you push that into that direction? So, yeah. 
that article's the perfect one. She should I be should bugging read it, about it. Because <laughs> I think I also pulled a Matt Colville in, or not pulled a Matt Colville. I uh, was reading Matt Colville's Strongholds and Followers rather than that Unearthed Arcana. But yeah. I will look it up afterwards because I have nothing to do until 7 o'clock tonight. So Yeah, those are good <laughs> rules. They're, they're all good rules. I really liked them. So, um, and those of you that are playing um, Idol Champions of the Forgotten Realms, there's a new character coming out. I think it's out now. It's Kathris from... Um, acquisitions inc so if you don't have that in your roster and you're playing that fun game on steam definitely go check that out it's a fun little it's uh, a free game game, right yeah it's free and it's cool to see characters and names from forgotten realms that are pretty famous or parts of other stories or come from other things and these are even they've started putting in people if you're playing your campaign in forgotten realms in your basically famous enough Mm -hmm. it might get put in there so there's archon is in there um we've got um the the wonderful actress um from daredevil she has her character in there jamala okay was in there and that was from the force gray group there's a couple of the force gray characters in there there's a couple of um acquisition ink characters in there now there's a couple of um dice action characters in there like dice action, yeah there. action camera or dice, dice camera action. action. Camera. Yeah, yeah. I always get them. <laughs> I saw you thinking it out. I'm like, yeah, I can I'm help. Like I can help by by saying the wrong thing. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah, I'm on. I'm actually on Jordan's pain medication too. Yeah. So if I'm just putting <laughs> stuff up, you know, as a. Oh man. <laughs> that's my excuse. Also. I am. So, I am fuzzy today. That's definitely the news. Um, so other than that, um, do we want to dive into where we've been doing? Uh, do you want to start off? Do you want me to start? I usually start off, but we can always start with Jordan. Oh, we want to switch. Jeez. We could switch it up. Well, like, uh, man. So I bought a book, um, called maze of the blue, blah, 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 blah. It's not called that at all. It is called maze of the blue Medusa. Have you heard of this book? I have. Um, have you read this book? No. Not so yet. <laughs> it is. Uh, and if you guys are interested in it, um, Ben, who we had on the show, uh, yep. he he runs a YouTube channel called Questing Beast, and he did a great review of Maze of the Blue Medusa. Um, and not, I think every book I bought has been well crafted, but this one is like the pages are like sewn in, like every like this book is meant to be used at the table and not fall apart. And I really like that about it. Um, so I've been reading Maze of the Blue Medusa. It's um, like Hot Springs Island. It's system agnostic, but they they give you monster stats in it. And these monster stats are um, this creature has four hit die and every monster is like a D8. Or if you feel like you want to make it easier on your party, you can make it a D6. So it'll be like this monster has four hit die um, and I roll four D8 and get its hit points. And then its attack is however many hit die it has. So it'll have a plus four to attack. And then the damage for that attack will be, um, it'll say it's like a D8 or a D6 or a D4 or something like that. And then it'll list any special abilities that it has. But I was really impressed with this book because it made, like, I can use this book to run any system. And so let's use D&D 5e, for example. And I could make these monsters on the fly and have them attack my party. Uh, so they were really clever in that they made a way that you can basically craft monsters for any system that you're playing in. Um, hi puppy. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so I've been reading this book. Uh, it feels really, uh, what's the word? Like, like I want to run it for Dungeon Crawl Classics. Um, and it's, mm-hmm. orga- it's, it's basically a mega dungeon. So there's, there's a little bit of history to this, this maze, but it's a big mega dungeon. Um, your party members kind of can get there however you really deem it. Uh, but it involves a painting and then you're stuck inside this labyrinth and you're trying to find your way out. Um, or your, or maybe there's an objective in the maze that you have set up for your players. That's kind of up to you, the player or up to you, the dungeon master. Uh, it, the the whole system for monsters really makes me think of dungeon crawl classics and how i can tweak it for dungeon crawl classics and so i've been talking to some of my players and i think uh, my hot springs island players and i think after i finish my play that i'm in uh we might try and do a um maze of the blue medusa hot springs or not hot springs maze of the blue medusa dungeon crawl classics game and just see kind of where it goes and so i might run them through a funnel so that we kind of understand how dungeon crawl classics works and then their level one characters will transition into this maze and we'll just kind of play this maze and i don't know how long it'll take because it is a mega dungeon and it's Mm -hmm. it's quite extensive but uh yeah and the only other thing the the other problem i guess i have with it is that it lists a lot of common D D spells but Dungeon Crawl Classics doesn't really have all of the equivalents of those spells within DCC. So I might have to like create some some of my own magic or just say this works as, as an ability instead of a spell. Right. Um, but, Makes sense. but it's so cool. And I've been really excited about it. And I've been reading this book like crazy. Um, and I... I think this indie RPG community of uh, like the, the author was Zach S and Patrick Stewart, not, not Picard, but another Patrick Stewart and Zach S made another book called um, uh, Vornheim, the city of Vornheim, which is another great, which I bought and own and love. And so I don't know uh, the, these indie RPG people seem to just be hitting it out of the park. Um, And these are all older books. So they've been doing this like for a long time, but um Hot Springs Island, Maze of the Blue Medusa. Like I'm having more fun running these these uh, system neutral campaign settings than I am running like a, a Wizards of the Coast adventure, I guess, because it's so um, open. Like Hot Springs Island is just really open, and you're able to kind of go anywhere and do anything. Um, and I don't know. I shouldn't. Not that I'm bashing Wizards of the Coast adventure modules. Um, because well, I was gonna I've, say, have you ran one? I well, I have run uh, several sections of Tales from the Yawning Portal, right? But you're right. right, I haven't read one, or I haven't uh, run one. I've read you're running a homebrew campaign. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but no, so I don't know. Like, I just these indie RPGs get me really excited about D and D, and get me really excited about role playing games. Um, yeah. And I guess that's kind of the news that I wanted to talk about was. Uh, you guys should all check out Maze of the Blue Medusa. And if anything, check out Ben's uh, Questing Beast Questing video Beast on it. Yeah, because yeah. you'll get a sense of whether you like the idea or not. But the whole book is designed really well that like, oh, you're in room number 74 and you flip to this page and it's got room number 74. And then it's got all of the adjacent rooms, how to connect to them, what all of these rooms mean, where they interact with other rooms in the maze. This character is in this room. You kind of flip to the back of the book. Here's some motivations for that character, that NPC. Uh, it's a really well done book. So I'm just ranting and raving because I liked that so much. It was really yeah, fun. Yeah, and what's funny is, is the only book I've seen that's like that from... Um... 
Dungeons and Dragons, so uh, from Wizards of the Coast, which is like you said, Tales from the Yawning Portal, which was a conglomeration of old yeah. dungeons that were brought back forward that you could place somewhere in your module. Because I don't think you necessarily played that book from one to the end. You Did could. Have a, a, was there a link that led from each one to the other? There, or? there wasn't necessarily a true story link, but the mm. level progression was there. So when you okay. finished uh, the one to three campaign, you were level four, which got you into this one. And when you finished that, you were level seven, which got you into White Plume Mountain, which got you into et cetera. So it, it progressed uh, up all the way yeah. to level uh, 10 or 10 or 12, I think. So, well, I was reading Dungeon of the Mad Mage, and that was the first one that felt like one of those old, like, not, I don't want to say old, the OSR style book. Right. Which is probably because it is a back. mega dungeon. Yeah. And yeah. it does that where all the things are like the room numbers are listed, and there's lots of descriptions. It talks about the, the motivations that you can pick for the bad guy and what's going on in the dungeon and why the dungeon does the things it does. And so it gives you a lot more information that I felt was very, felt very different than when I read like Storm King's Thunder or I read Tomb of Annihilation, some of that, mm -hmm. or even um, uh, Dragon Heist. God, there's so many books in my head. I got to get them right. <laughs> um, Waterdeep Dragon Heist. Those all read like this campaign story uh, kind of campaign versus like you said, the mega dungeon or there's some type of, you know, like, the the islands the hot spring islands is yeah a big, it's kind of a mega dungeon it's just an island it's so just it's it is and it's a it's an island where you it's not a dungeon in the sense that there are walls but it is a big hex grid that you can kind of go anywhere but yeah. you're still encountering room after room um and uh, yeah 100 percent. it makes me i wonder if i should run this online if i do run it because it would be really nice to have the map in roll 20 if i can find a, a picture of the map at, at a certain size and then put it into roll 20 and do the dynamic lighting and things like that so that they can kind of explore each room. That would be really fun rather Those than Jordan favorite. trying to like draw it out every single, like, Oh, you moved a couple inches. Oh, let me redraw the whole map and things like that. So, yeah. Yeah. My favorite to play on roll 20 have been the dungeon Dells because you get that dynamic lighting in yeah. and moving their tokens around and then something pops up out of the shadows. And it's just a really fun moment in the game. That's my favorite for moving miniatures around. Um, I think if you're doing theater of the mind, you might not necessarily get that same kind of thing, but um, I think it'd be interesting to watch. I'd love to play in it too. Cause DCC, I got to play in finally at, um, well, I got to play MCC, which is basically the same yeah, thing. Yeah. Classics. And um, it was really good. And DCC just looks like so much fun. I mean, it just yeah. looks like a ton of fun, cool, weird, quirky dice and, really gritty combat no, and it's, you die at any moment. Yeah. Kind of and uh, that's another thing I was thinking because you do die a lot in Dungeon Crawl Classics and you have to figure out ways of getting your players to re-roll a character and have them come in. So it made me think like, like if you, my players were level three and one of them died, do you have them come back as level three or do you have them come back at level two or do you have them come back at level one? Like, do you do one level back or do you have them start over from the beginning? Like that was something I was wondering because... Uh, in my Hot Springs Island game, I think we we said the 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 we had one death in Hot Springs Island, and when he came back as a new character, um, he was roughly like half the experience lower than the rest of the party because we basically said, well, you start at level four, but you start at the beginning of level four, and the rest of these players are at level like four and a half or four point six or something. Yeah, 
yeah, you have to make those decisions on how you're going to do that. And we had that in our adventure league game where we have to make a decision. Somebody dies yeah, and everybody's eighth and ninth level. Well, what do we do now? Do we bring somebody in that's another eighth or ninth level character? Do they come in as a much lower character? What, you know, how are you going to do it? Which one, what do you do? I'm asking you right now on the spot. For my campaigns, I have them come in at a slightly lower level, but they are close but because i can't mess up the big cr rating battles that i'm trying to design for them and if i go too crazy somebody's just going to die to something very simple though as a player when my dm i was like to my dm i was like i'll bring a first level character in and join up with these eighth or ninth levels because i like the idea of this challenge of me being super weak compared to everybody else and having to find a way to still survive Mm -hmm. but we're getting attacked by stuff that's just you know, just wrecking stuff that if you were a first or second level character, you're never going to make it Yeah, uh, in that. Just the poison alone from the attack is going to knock you out. <laughs> so it'd be really tough. I think you have to bring in a toughened character and let them begin to level up. Though I don't ever bring them in like right at that level. Like I always make them, there's that consequence of dying was you're a little bit behind and you're, you're catching up now to the group. You know, something I did in Tomb of Horrors when I ran that is I had the option where players could use their money to buy a plus one item Mm -hmm. um, or they could use their money to buy a bracelet of three lives. And so Mm -hmm. when they died, the bracelet like restitched their body back together and they were alive still. Um, And maybe that's something I'll use with Maze of the Blue Medusa because it is very, especially if I'm going to use DCC rules, it's really difficult and then I'll be like, no, basically you get three lives and those three lives should get them to level three or four where they can like sustain themselves. Um, and then you still have the the death consequences. It's just not as harsh as, as other things. Yeah. But And there are plenty of, in all of the 5e campaigns I've ran, if they want to resurrect or bring a character back, there's usually not a barrier to that. Mm-hmm. Like there's, except for playing Tomb of Annihilation and the whole death curse thing, other than that, in all the campaigns I've ran, if they wanted to bring the character back because that person wanted to keep playing that character, their yeah. party could easily go to a high-level cleric at a big town, bring the body, and get all this, and pay a lot of money yeah. or favors or things, but they could get that character back, and that could be woven into the story. And it was a cool part of weaving it into the story. So that is there. It, it becomes more about if they want to continue that character or if they feel like that character's story's been told and now they want to move to something else because and a couple have made that choice like they were like yeah that that character's story's done even though i like them but they died they did their thing i'm gonna come back as this mm-hmm. <laughs> you know so that's that's always in the campaigns i've ran so far um and then uh something else i wanted to talk about besides maze of the blue medusa which is so good um <laughs> is uh so i i am currently running my home game, which is on hiatus, I guess. And then my hot Springs Island game. And then one of my hot Springs Island players is DMing a game that I made, that I kind of play in when I, when I can, I guess. Um, and he sent me a message and I think he sent you a message too, Lucian. Cause he's <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. yeah, he's like, can I talk to Lucian about this? And I was like, absolutely. Um, but, uh, and I talked to him about this and I'm like, Hey, I want to talk about it on the show. And he said it was okay. So don't worry everybody. Cool. Cool. Um, but he, wanted to know like how do you handle enemy enmity um like who who do your monsters attack and why and Mm -hmm. using the knowledge of your players like me as a dungeon master i'm using the knowledge i understand of my players 
And then am I tweaking the monster to be as effective as possible? Or am I playing the monster's intelligence correctly? Like, how do you do this? And how this came up is I'm playing a Warforged fighter with a shield that has an AC of 21. So I'm hard to hit. And we were fighting a big giant uh, worm monster. And this worm monster didn't attack me once because my, you know, my dungeon master knew that it's like, well, he's not going to be able to hit that AC of 21. I'm going to go after these other creatures that I can hit. And in his mindset, it was to make the encounter a little more challenging and scary. You know, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so uh, then he sent me a message. You're like, but I didn't even attack you. Like, did you get hit at all? And I'm like, no, I didn't get hit once. And he's like, see, like, what am I doing? So how do you handle this? Like you yeah. as a, as a dungeon master, do you, um, and he was, at, that was his question is like, how did I handle this correctly? How should I handle this in the future? And I thought it would be a really good question for us to talk about on the Saturday morning D and D show, yeah. because I was thinking like, no, you should probably play it as the creature's intelligence. And maybe the creature looks at me if it's intelligent enough. And it's like, I'm not going to chew on the metal guy because he's made of metal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm going to go after these weaker characters. If that was your mindset, then that seems like, well, that's, that's okay. But if your mindset is, oh, I'm not going to chew on Jordan cause he's got a high AC. I'm going to chew on this other things. Like that monster doesn't know I have a high AC. Does he like yeah. how intelligent right. is he? If he's a, a super smart lich maybe, but I don't know. Thoughts. Right. But you also have to remember your players metagame you yes. quite a bit too. So like as your players like oh we know that this is a um, we're fighting slimes so we know we've got a burn or a troll let's use a troll we know we've got to burn it at some point during this round so it doesn't get its regeneration at the beginning they're kind of metagaming a little too so there's this weird thing about how much is good metagaming and how much is not good metagaming mm-hmm. and that's really what it comes down to is that topic and I thought the there was a couple things that I told him and the, the, in my response to him was. This is the way I do it. So I'm not saying this yeah. is right or wrong, <laughs> but this is the way I do it. And I would never say you did it right or wrong, but here's here's how I would go. There's a couple of things that I try to do now as I've been learning more and more being a dungeon master and a game master that help me stay away from over metagaming because sometimes you have this inclination to see your party doing really well against a encounter you thought was going to be harder for them and you start to try to figure out a way to wait a minute this has to be hard so i've got to do something to make it hard and and you're reacting to them doing really well and i don't think that's what you want to necessarily do so what i've been trying to do is if i have an encounter that i know is a combat encounter the couple of things i try to have before the session started, this is the day before, the hour before, whatever, when I'm thinking about what's about to happen, I think about those creatures, whatever it is, what would it normally target before we ever get into the fight? What is the type of thing it goes after and why? And most of the time, the highest damaging attack it took, if it's a low intelligence creature, is usually where I move that creature to. So if you do what have constitutes that high, a low intelligence creature for you, right? So th- I'm thinking anything below like an eight. Okay, and it is right? just like you hit me the hardest, I'm going to hit you back. And yeah, it's it's more of an aggressive response to what's happening. It's not overthinking tactics or anything like that. Now, if they're above an eight, so there's you start to get into goblins and kobolds and stuff. I feel like if a if that type of creature tries to hit your warforge twice. 
realizes it's done nothing, mm-hmm. it then could make the decision or possible decision to switch targets or try to do something else because it sees what it's doing is not working, right? Yeah. It can react and change what it's doing. Sometimes I make that a dice roll to see their wisdom check or an intelligence check to say, you know what, are they going to switch here or not? I definitely let any damage they're taking add in a big portion of I should hit back whatever's hitting me. Or if there's something giving them orders to do something, if they're following those orders and how long do they follow those orders to do it. Um, So like if you have a, and this all kind of, this happened in my pyramid where we had the hobgoblins were running the kobolds and we're telling the kobolds to hit the magic users. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but then all of a sudden, a couple of the kobolds were getting hit by some of the warriors. So I had them kind of turn and fight the warriors right in front of them because they're getting beat up by them. Versus there were some that were still following orders and doing what they were supposed to be doing, attacking the magic users. Because there was this you know, um, leader who was telling them being tactical against their party. So I think it comes down to a few things, if, if I were to sum it up. <clears throat> let damage happening to the creature or sets of creatures have an influence let smarter creatures try something but learn from their mistake if it's a mistake so if there's the the big shield warforge who takes dodge for two turns and around and you know that if i just keep attacking this guy not only has he got a 21 ac but now you're going to do disadvantage so i'm never getting a 21 technically I'm still going to attack you because it's a good tactic. It's a good thing that the player feels good about. They feel like that's their position in the party. That's what they should do. But after one or two of those attacks, if it's a smarter creature, I'm thinking they might think about something different. They might try something different and realize what, what they're doing isn't working. So that's how I try to do it um, so that it feels like I'm not necessarily metagaming in the moment. Like, I'm not thinking about, oh, I know that wizard's about to throw the fireball, so I'm going to put everybody in cover right now because I know the fireball's coming, or things like that. I'm trying to think about what they would know mm-hmm. about our character because sometimes they don't even know what your characters are. So <clears throat> that group that you place against them, they don't know that the ranger is going to hit them with a bow hard until it happens that first time, and then things can react to it. So let your Warforge do the thing it's going to do that first time then begin to react to it if it's appropriate. Um, so I think that's what I sent back to him in a Twitter message. And I, so hopefully it helped him out. And that's where I went And from Matt Colville. It always says, what is your motivation of your creature before any combat even starts? If you have that written down, you, you don't metagame as much because if it's like, you know what, at 75% damage, these guys are going to run. Then you already kind of know how they're going to fight, or you know that they're always going to pick on lightly armored targets first. Well, then, when I run my combat, I'm just doing lightly targeted, you know, mm-hmm. first. Um, and that motivation have- could be anything from like, this guy hates wizards to mm-hmm. this guy wants the gem more than he wants to win this fight. So if he yeah. can run to that gem, collect it and teleport out of there, that's his motivation for this fight, which makes yeah. it an interesting dynamic fight because your, your party all of a sudden, it's not how many hit points does this guy have? It's how do I stop this guy? Yeah. Um, a tactic that I use a lot is <laughs> dice. Um, surprise, but if I'm, if I'm sitting in my head and I'm just like, man, do I attack the cleric or do I attack the wizard? I don't know. And so I'll roll a D six, one to three, it's the cleric four to six. It's the wizard. Um, because that feels fair to me. And it also kind of feels like, like, well, yeah, it just feels fair. Like it feels like I can roll a dice and then it wasn't up to me. It was up to the dice about who he attacks. 
Um, and a lot of times that's with your ranged things that are in the back. So you've got things shooting their bows in the back, and mm-hmm. you're trying to figure out who should they target at the you know. And I will sometimes do that same thing where sometimes it might be, but I also try to think about like what are their orders. Mm-hmm. They might have one or two choices, and then I'll make a roll on that versus like okay, it's a party of five, so I'm going to do a roll of one d five just randomly. I try to narrow it down to the most likely. But then there's still this random choice. So I'm not the one just picking on, all right, I'm just going to hit the rogue with every single bow shot yeah. I have. Here comes eight of them, rogue, because I know your AC is not that great or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah, but I think it's that's the key. What you said right there is, like, you know that the rogue's AC is not that great, but um, these guys don't necessarily know that. They know that they want to pick on, you know, so-and-so. And I think that's why rolling a dice. And I'll roll dice for a lot of other things, too. Like that monster who's whacked on that, you know, 21 AC Warforged twice and missed. I'll roll to be like, is it like one to three? He's so angry that he's going to keep attacking no matter what because he's so frustrated that he can't hit. Or yeah. is it going to be four, five, six? He attacks another party member. And you can roll like that as well. And, and I'll, I'll do a lot of things like that. And going back to your analogy with all the goblins, like let's say the goblins are taking orders from this hobgoblin. You take out the hobgoblin because your party is smart and you're like, he's clearly the leader. You know, one to three, the goblins still follow the orders uh, they were given. Four, five, six, they scatter. They don't know what's going on. They fire at random. Like yeah. you can use dice to, to help you make a decision, I guess is my mm-hmm. point. Because a lot of times you're in the moment like, well, it's either one of these two things. Now I have to weigh the pros and cons. Which is it really? Like just roll a D6 and figure it out. And there's two things there that I think maybe not a lot of people are doing, but maybe, I don't know, I do it all the time. If you have a 21 AC Warforged and I roll oh, I do. a 15 to hit. Yeah. In my game, they hit you. It did was in, ineffective. It wasn't they missed you, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's a big thing. So the creature, I'm hitting. I'm still hitting stuff, but it wasn't doing damage, which is a very different thing than I'm just whiffing all yeah. over the place. Yeah. My mindset of the combat and what they're thinking. And then the the second piece of that, I always have been thinking about goblins and hobgoblins and creatures like that they know about players, not not players playing the character, but they know about wizards right. and clerics that roam the countryside and lay waste to, to, to goblins and half-orcs and all this other stuff. They know what a rogue in leather looks like compared to an armored knight, mm-hmm. um, compared to somebody in a robe getting ready to magically do something. So they're not as stupid, I think, as sometimes we might play them as dungeon masters because they live in the same world the players live in, the, the characters live in. They understand great swords do lots of damage. Paladins exist and can smite things. They're, they have the stories. They've heard the stories. Their clan has fought these things before. Um, they've clashed with this kind of stuff before. So it doesn't mean necessarily that they can't pick out the unarmored or know that, hey, wizards are dangerous. You can't let them sit in the back. Or hit the cleric, because the cleric keeps casting heal, and mm-hmm. you're never going to beat the party if you don't get the healer down. Yeah. Right? So that's a valid thing, and I think that they live in that world too, so they know just as well, I think, and are able to do that. So I don't. I try not to play them really dumb, but I also try not to just pick on a player. Like, I don't pick a player who does something that night at the table and say, God darn it, I'm mad at you. 
So now all my attacks go on you. I'm just going to kill your character. I don't care what's going on. You know, like, like it, there's reasons they're doing the things. I always play the NPCs as they have reasons for doing things. But I have started trying to play them smarter because I think they live in that same world that our smart PCs live in. So they yeah. should get that same benefit. Yeah, and to go back to the original fight, which was, you know, I've got a 21 AC, we're attacking a beast. The DM's mindset was, I want to create a more interesting encounter, so I'm going to attack other players. Sometimes you just have to acknowledge the fact that your encounter that you want to be a little more difficult is not going to be because you know that this beast is going to attack the Warforged at least twice before he realizes he can't chew through that armor and he's going to go to another character. So that's two rounds of lots of damage against this beast. But if that's the mindset um, and you can even do this on the fly, like if that happens and you're just like, this is a little easier than I intended, all of a sudden like baby worms start crawling up next to this thing, or there's an avalanche and stuff's falling from the ceiling to create more encounters. Like you can tweak the encounter like by adding minions or adding other creatures. Um, and this just comes with time, but I feel like the more experienced you get as a DM, the easier that becomes to just kind of tweak something on the fly. Yeah. Yeah. Don't be afraid to let the players ingenuity and their plan, their synergy work really well in an, in one of your encounters where you're just like, Oh, you know what? They've got this lot. Yeah. They've down. got it down. They're, they're no, nobody's going to get hit or hurt. It's all working the perfect way they thought it was. I'll keep that in mind so that down the road, a different encounter, I'm going to make sure it's a little bit more challenge for their group, but it's going to be because of tactics or something different or environmental, or like you said, minions or give them more targets. That, that always hands down makes your combats more dynamic is more target. I have not found when I put one thing against a party of five or six players that they've ever sweated fighting it. It just never seems, even the guy who takes the big hit, maybe it gets hit so hard they go down. There's five other players that are ready to bring that person back up to full fighting capability. And he, that person's ready to just jump in the front again and take the hit again. And like, it doesn't matter. They're just going to hit me to zero. I'll get unconscious. The healer will bring me back up again. We could do this all day long until <laughs> we finally kill this one big whatever it is. So party against one thing is typically not a challenge in Dungeons & Dragons 5e. You throw six or seven things on the board against five or six players. Now you're starting to get into your challenge. So I try to do that. Action economy is the big word that you will always hear from any dungeon masters that talk about stuff. If the players are mid-level and they all have about two or three things they can do on their turn. So you've got a four-player party that can do three things. That's like about 12-ish actions. Then make sure you match it with somewhere around 12-ish actions. Mm -hmm. And you will give them a challenge if you do that, hands down. Speaking of player knowledge, earlier you were talking about the troll and like how players know that they have to do fire damage to the troll. My Warforged fighter has Eldritch Knight. He took uh, protection from good and evil, which just as you were saying, taking dodge so that you have disadvantage on attack or attack rolls have disadvantage on you. Protection from good and evil protects you from fey, fiends, undead, and they have disadvantage on attack rolls against you. And I've been using this a lot because it's really good. And, but I have to get in the mindset of my Warforged fighter where I'm like, does he, would he use it in this instance? Like, does he think that this is an undead or a fiend or a fey creature? And I totally used it on this like fox headed monster. It was a human body with a, with the head of a fox. 
and he was a very much a fey creature. So I'm like, okay, like I think seven, seven's my warforged cleric or warforged, uh, fighter. I think seven would know that this is a fey creature, but there's been another time where we fought that giant worm that we've been talking about this whole time. And I'm like, I don't know if this is like a fiend or undead creature. Something's weird about it. So I'm going to cast protection from good and evil. That spell did absolutely nothing during that fight because it wasn't any one of those uh, creature types. So it's been an interesting, like, when do I use this? Because Jordan knows a lot of like, oh, that's obviously a fiend or that's obviously some kind of like abyssal creature. But does my character? And that's something that Jordan, the player, is struggling with, I guess. So because I want to be fair. Yeah, in one of our battles, I had this as a GM. I wanted the couple of frontline orcs to use dodge against my players, right? So they moved to engage them, and I wanted them to have disadvantage. But here was the problem. My players are smart enough that when I said they're going to use dodge, well, they just started trying to ignore and maneuver because if you use dodge, you don't get to attack those Mm -hmm. guys. And so... I was trying in that combat to find a way to describe what was going on without mechanically saying my NPCs are using dodge. That's why you're getting disadvantage. They would roll and I would say, uh, what you need to roll a second time. You have disadvantage on this attack. And they're like, why? And I'm like, you don't know why you just have disadvantage on this attack. You're fighting this thing. And so they were thinking there was some magical thing going on or some spell. And they kept thinking there was some spellcaster that they couldn't see because they're like, there must be a spellcaster in the back. Somebody go get them. They hadn't realized that all I was doing was the dodge mechanic. Because I know my players. They will metagame. Yeah. <laughs> you say I'm going to dodge. They're just going to ignore that thing. They're not going to attack it. They're just going to go do something else. And you don't want that. So it's funny that it can happen both ways. Mm-hmm. They will metagame you. It's okay if you metagame them a little bit too. Because everybody's metagaming each other a little bit. I think the key is don't go overboard. And it's not about targeting somebody specifically um, to ruin their day because there have been dungeon masters out there that will do something like that where they're just upset at you for something, maybe not even in the game. I remember this back in the day. And then all of a sudden your character would just get lambasted by every possible attack that can happen. Cause that, that DM just was like, you're, you're on my shit list at the moment. So, <laughs> okay. All right. So. Yeah. So I mean, we've kind of spent the whole hour talking about this, which is fine. And it was a really good question. So I want to thank Nathan for letting us uh, ask this question and kind of talk about it. Um, Kyle from chat on YouTube was saying that there's nothing wrong with asking the DM if your character would know if a certain, like what kind of creature it is. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, that's true. Um, I, in the future, I guess I can just be like, do you think seven would know what this creature is? Or can I make an an intelligence check? check. Yeah. Yeah. I do a history or nature check to say, do you know what a troll is? Have you fought a troll before? Do you know that it regenerates and you have to do something? Yeah. But uh, before we leave, uh, Lucian, you are working on some new YouTube stuff. What's going on with you? As I yeah, hog so, this entire session. So. <laughs> no, that's okay. That's why I let you go first this time because usually I hog the whole thing. My wife said a couple of days or like a couple of shows ago, she's like, all I ever hear is you talking. Do you even have a co-host? I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm sure I let him talk at some point. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so this last week, uh, we did not have a Revenor game. There was, a, there was four or five players that were interested, but they never quite got themselves organized. And in the Revenor game, I'm real stickler about they organize their groups. They have to tell me within two days, so I have two days to prep. And if they don't hit the deadline, that's it. We're not making – then it's not happening because I'm, I'm making sure that they stick to how that game is going to be played. So that didn't quite work out, so we didn't get a Revenor game. But on Sunday, 
what we did is I started up a show that I'm calling uh, RPG Crash Course, which I got from Skull Dixon was the one that suggested the name because he's in it, um, in our chat. And it's this idea of once a month, I want to pick an RPG and I want to learn by playing it, not try to figure it all out before we start and then teach everybody how to play when we go. It's no, we sat down on Sunday, had not cracked the book open. We all opened the PDF at the same exact time and we just started, okay, let's go through character creation. Let's talk about what we want to do. And I'm going to start setting up the campaign. We're going to play tomorrow again and get some more character creation done. And we're going to learn how the game works through sitting down and playing it. No, no early prep or anything like that. Um, and so every month we're going to pick a new one. So right now we've chosen um, the game that uh, I really liked was a Kickstarter I did by uh, Eloy LaSanta at Third Eye Games, and it was called Part-Time Gods. So it's about um, players who somehow get divinity or some type of part of a divinity. So like you become like in our game, we have the patron god of gamblers now. That's one of the characters. And then we have... Um, kind of a, a very raw elemental style god of the void and we're going to see what the third character is and they don't they were normal people they are normal people that live in chicago they're students going to school first year of college something happens and now they get this divinity and they find out about this whole world that it secretly goes around um the mundane world at the time that gods walk among us you know you can have the the Viking pantheons, you can have the Greek pantheons, you can have the Egyptian pantheons, you can have all these different things are happening all over the world. And there's this whole new thing going out. And I really like the idea of building a story off that. So the month of January is devoted to part-time gods. I'm going to do a bunch of videos throughout the month based on how to play, how to make a character, how to run it, what I think about it. Um, and then next in February, we'll pick another game and we're going to jump to that one and we're going to play that one. So it's going to be super fun to try to learn these new RPGs that are out there because I love Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition. We talked about this a little bit pre-show. We play a lot of Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition, but there's a lot of other good games out there that yeah. I want to to play. Even if it's not as big an audience, it's not going to draw in as big in numbers, It's not. it doesn't matter to me. I want to play these fun games that are out there. Kids on bikes. We need more of that kind of stuff. We need more Tales from the Loop. We need more of those really fun Mothership. I want to play Mothership, Mothership so bad. Yeah, Microscope. I want to put yeah. together a game of Microscope at some point. Um, so there's a lot of this stuff that we want to do. So that was my Sunday. Um, and I put out the first video that talked a little bit about it. It's on the channel. And there will be more videos that are tutorial-based. And then there will be live. You can just watch the, the Raw Live. The Raw Live, I think the reason I wanted to do that was this idea that you used to go to a store where you would buy your RPGs because we didn't always have drive through RPG until the last five, six years. So you would go to Barnes and Noble or whatever game store. You would look on the shelf. There would be whatever RPG you wanted to play. Let's say it's Torg Eternity or, or it's uh, the Palladium Systems or it's something, Battletech or Robotech. You grabbed it. You brought it back home. You had your friends sitting around the table. You're like, hey, I got this book. Let's play this game. We all got paper and pencils out got our dice mm -hmm. and we start figuring out how to play it. And I wanted to recreate some of that on an online format. If I could, we maybe aren't necessarily capturing that 14 year old vibe that I had, but we're getting close. And I think if we do 12 of them over a year, one of those in there will, will hit that, that good nostalgia for me of, Oh, this is so good. And we're going to pick games that are old. We're going to pick games that are new. We're going to pick games that were kickstarted. We're going to pick different systems. We're going to pick really popular games. We're going to pick 
things that people maybe never even heard of. So it's going to be a big eclectic grouping of 12 games for the 2019 year. And I think it's going to be really fun. Yeah. It so sounds if exciting. you want to see that, come check that out. It's going to be super, super fun. But that was my week in gaming was getting ready for that. And my dog's going crazy out there. <laughs> and my week in gaming was very limited. I, I literally played the one game that we talked about uh, with the, the AC 21. So, <laughs> um, because I am doing this play, but uh, hopefully this Tuesday, I will be playing Hot Springs Island again, and it'll be the triumphant return of Hot Springs Island. And then come February, uh, we're going to do some Maze of the Blue Medusa, I hope. So really excited for that. But yeah. Anything else, sir, before we sign off? Uh, nope, that's it. Um, we're playing lots of games. We're getting set for this year. We're going to be talking about conventions we're going to. We've got guests lining up. So we're hoping to do a guest once a month. We got one in a couple of weeks. We'll probably announce it closer to just in case things fall through. We don't want to over-announce anything. Um, but you'll be hearing about that. Definitely check out the podcast. Definitely check out um, our Twitter accounts to keep up to date with what we're doing on Twitter. Hey, send us your DM questions on Twitter. I enjoyed uh, answering Nathan's question. I really should have put back, if it involves Jordan, just kill him. Yeah, that's exactly. For any of your other players, here's the good here's the good advice. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Jordan doesn't need, he's, he's not there half the time anyway, cause he's so busy. Yeah. So you Who should brings uh, a Warforged with a 21 AC to your game. And he's just there to wreck terrible metagamer. That's who a terrible <laughs> metagamer. I'll tell you this though. Like I took the, um, shield mastery feat. So mm-hmm. now I can run in and hit with my sword. Of course. And then shield shove him prone action surge and get advantage on my next two attacks against him because he's prone and uh it's been a really fun but it not not a broken combination but like definitely i'm i'm totally yeah i'm metagaming not metagaming (laughs) but i'm creating a powerful character on purpose because it's fun to play around i was like thinking they're twinking the character they're twinks and they're like yeah and you're gonna find a magic item that helps with that and somehow that's gonna do some more stuff yeah Yeah, it'd be cool if i got a magic shield or something nathan magic shield (laughs) uh that's our show ladies and gentlemen thank you guys so much for coming out and watching us uh we had a bunch of people on uh not not only twitch but on youtube watching us so we really appreciate you guys uh talking to us and the chat was always fun to interact with you guys so thank you again um you can catch this uh vod on youtube at the youtube.com slash saturday morning dnd um you can D show i believe um you can also catch us as a podcast if you listen to us as a podcast uh consider going to itunes and giving us a five-star review it helps circulate the podcast out there and that's kind of the goal is to get other people listening to this and because we find ourselves entertaining and hopefully other people will too so (laughs) uh thank you guys again so much we will see you again next saturday with another episode of the saturday morning DD show until then uh take care everybody goodbye Our intro and outro music is 8-Bit March by Twin Musicom, licensed under Creative Commons. Check out their website at www.twinmusicom.org.